This is the official show here on the Fish Stripes podcast channel. It's me, as usual, Eli Sussman, with you for this is going to be an abbreviated episode, a fly by the seat of my pants episode, and uh, one that is somewhat of a secret episode. I'm not going to go out of my way to promote it on our main website, fishstripes.com, or on our social media accounts. Uh, partly that's because I'll be pretty busy on Friday when it goes up with some other commitments, uh, but also because this is a, a final uh, last chance for this microphone that I've been using for over a year now. I've been noticing on some past recordings, almost all past recordings, that there's this weird periodic buzzing sound that happens every couple minutes that's annoying, and I find uh, in terms of quality assurance, it's not up to the standards that I want. So if that buzzing sound appears in this episode, and I'll notice it as soon as I finish recording, that uh, if that still can't get shaking it out of the system, then uh, I'm going to take the plunge and invest in a new microphone to uh, overcome that issue, give you guys a better quality product. This is, of course, going to be talking about the Miami Marlins, as we often do, and in particular, we finally got an official roster move and transaction on Thursday, the first one in several weeks. The first half of that transaction, entirely predictable, the announcement that Anthony Bass has signed a two-year deal with the team. It even came along with a special intro video from the Marlins account themselves. Uh, you could clown them all you want for like trying to make a big deal of signing a setup reliever in one Anthony Bass, who's been fairly anonymous up to this point of his career. Uh, but it has, it is the biggest outside addition to the roster so far this offseason, something definitely that unequivocally makes the team better than it would have been if they had not signed him. Anthony yeah. Bass has come back out for his second inning. The Blue Jays and out away from a victory. 3-2 again. Popped it up. And the Blue Jays find a way to win the game. My first impressions of Anthony Bass are pretty positive in terms of who he is and the somewhat interesting upside that he has despite being a little bit older. We've discussed this on the website, a couple articles about him that you could check out, uh, as well as some of the highlights we've been posting on social media. Uh, overall, a pretty efficient signing and a positive one. Uh, the newsworthy aspect of this is the corresponding roster move because the Marlins all offseason have had a 40-man roster crunch. Every single time they've sought to make any sort of improvement, somebody has to come off the roster. You just have too many intriguing players and you need to make difficult choices and leave those players subject to going to other teams. You just can't buy the rules. This is a rule that I like in baseball that... You know, they just prevent you from hoarding too much talent, too much affordable, efficient talent. And with the Marlins, the odd man out in this situation is right-hander Jordan Yamamoto. I found it uh, mildly surprising because I've done my best to foresee, prognosticate who the, the players in DFA danger are, players that are in danger of being designated for assignment at any given time. And uh, give you a little heads up as to why I think those players could be especially expendable. And Yamamoto was not on the top of my list for a while now. It's been uh, Jeff Brigham. Brigham being a soon-to-be 29-year-old reliever who barely pitched at all last year, who was inherited from old Marlins ownership. Whereas Yamamoto is more than four years younger than Brigham. He, as recently as, I mean, 
pretty much with the exception of one outing in his Marlins career, he's been exclusively a starting pitcher at the major league level. He's one that had a fair amount of success, especially at the start of his major league career in mid-2019. He still has a minor league option left. Uh, For what it's worth, his intangibles seem to be strong. He's a good quality teammate. He's a marketable guy. Uh, And he's, I mean, overall, just the fact that the particular roots that brought him to the organization, I feel that that context matters as well. The fact that he was part of the Christian Yelich trade and... I think any way you slice it, he has been the most successful of those players in the Yelich trade. Isan Diaz won a minor league player of the year award. Lewis Brinson was had the most prominent role in this 2020 postseason run. But, I mean, neither them nor Monte Harrison have had the string of major league success that Yamamoto had for his first few weeks in the majors. Um, overall, numbers are underwhelming. I think I had posted them before that his career so far in the major leagues, uh, 19 appearances, 18 of them starts, a 6.20 ERA, a 5.44 fielder independent pitching, and uh, barely over replacement level overall production to this point, although a good strikeout rate overall, especially for a guy that has almost been exclusively in a starting role. Of course, those numbers are very severely skewed by what happened in 2020, where I mean, this may feel like ancient history, but at this time a year ago, he had the, it was his starting rotation spot to lose entering 2020 with the Marlins. It was in no particular order, Sandy and Pablo, Urania, and um, Caleb Smith. Those were your four quote-unquote veteran starters, I guess. And Yamamoto was the front runner for the fifth and final rotation spot coming out of spring training. COVID shut things down for a few months. We came back to summer camp and Yamamoto was once again, you know, at ahead of that race for the fifth spot. It was very much a competition. Like, we were aware there was no lock that Yamamoto would be in there. But he had shown enough as a rookie in 2019, where he was more or less a league average starting pitcher. You know, not replacement level, but league average. Like, almost mid-rotation quality performance in 2019. Four and a half ERA, four and a half fielder independent pitching, striking out... 25% of batters faced, and um, some of that was driven by some good luck, his batting average on balls in play, um, some of his situational performance didn't seem sustainable, I mean, yeah, there were some red flags, of course, and he did have a rough stretch there right before missing time with an injury, and we're going to get to that part of it as well, but all in all, I mean, he was a guy that for his first couple years in the organization, 2018 in the minors, and then 2019 split between double A and the majors, that he was a success story, an unconventional success story. The reason why they were able to get him in the trade in the first place as a, like a throw-in piece is because he's undersized relative to a conventional starter, listed at six feet, even 185 pounds, and his early minor league track record was up and down. And with the Brewers farm system his first few years. But that being said, I mean, the performance kind of spoke for itself his first year in the organization, and then even at times in 2019 as well that he was performing. He had a very diverse pitch mix. His fastball velocity was below average every step of the way, but he was able to throw strikes relatively consistently. And just the diversity of off-speed pitches that he had, in particular his slider, which I feel as a prospect was not hyped all that much, but since it's been in the major leagues, his slider has been one of the better individual pitches that any Marlins pitcher has had. 
So that gives you a pretty solid base in terms of actually being a valuable member of an organization. I mean, to top it all off, even being un- undersized, he's a guy that 2016 in the minor leagues, he threw 134 innings. In 2019, between double and the majors, he threw 144 innings, and those innings add up over the course of a season. You, you need a certain number of pitchers to get you through the year overall, and he was a guy that, despite some injuries, he's had some pretty impressive single-season innings pitched totals that you can't totally dismiss. But that brings us to 2020 itself. As I said, he was entering the season with that inside track of like being in the rotation, hanging on to the fifth spot. And as soon as things started in summer camp in what, late June, early July, uh, he just faded. He faded and faded. And it was mildly surprising when they announced that Eliezer Hernandez was going to get his rotation spot coming out of camp, and they were going to send down Yamamoto. And the original comments coming from Don Mattingly were vague about Yamamoto, like why he didn't win that final spot. And he kept referring to his conditioning. They didn't feel that he was like fully stretched out to be a starter. Not that they, um, I mean, there's only so many opportunities he had to actually face live hitters during summer camp. But they just felt his that his stuff and his stamina was not there for whatever reason. Unfortunately uh, for him and the organization, that he was exposed. He was a emergency call up when the COVID outbreak came for the Marlins right after, right during that first road trip of the season. He had to be brought up in early August to what well, I guess he went straight to not Baltimore, but he made his first appearance in uh, yeah the first week of August. Uh, as an emergency fill-in to the rotation because they had lost Urania and they'd lost Sandy and they'd lost Caleb to COVID and Yamamoto was uh, up next on the depth chart. And his 2020 season was really historically non-competitive. It's hard to really come up with the proper adjectives to describe just how uncomfortable he looked and how just unable to perform he was in all of his appearances and totally made four appearances during the year back to back to back starts in august as that emergency villain got sent down got called up again in september and a very infamous appearance set a marlins record for most runs allowed in a single pitching appearance as part of that 29 to 9 blowout loss to the braves that will go down as his and most likely that will go down as his final appearance in a marlins uniform and he hits one high in the air toward left. Look at that ball carry toward the fence. At the fence. Leaping try. It is gone. Adam Duvall with another home run. This is unbelievable. Because where we are right now, he just got designated for assignment. The Marlins have a seven-day window to decide what to do with him. Um, well, not necessarily to decide, but first they need to put him on waivers, and all the teams in the league will one by one have an opportunity to claim him off waivers, and then they can negotiate with those teams and hopefully arrange a trade. And I'm not exactly sure what his value is going to be at this time because they are selling him at the absolute nadir of his value. It, according to baseball trade values, they approximate him at... Uh, 
as non-assets at this point, a 0.1 surplus value, $100,000 of surplus value, the kind of guy that might just get claimed on waivers by some team and without necessarily bringing you anything back in return. He's difficult to gauge right now just because of how bad that year was, but something's working to his advantage. Some of the reasons why I don't like the Marlins putting Yamamoto in this position in the first place is... I guess, first of all, his age, the fact that he's still just 24 years old, a guy that even though he doesn't rely much on his physicality, uh, that the one of the big red flags coming out of this 2020 season was that his fastball velocity, which is already kind of mediocre by Major League standards, uh, plunged even more. His fastball wasn't even averaging 90 miles per hour. There were some individual games where he was sitting 87, 88 with his fastball, which if you're a right-hander and you're sitting at that kind of velocity, and you're not commanding it precisely, you're going to get hammered. That's exactly what happened with him. So I, I the, the first big question for them, for the Marlins, when evaluating him is determining whether they think he could get that velocity back as a starter, because this seemingly caught them by surprise when they were heading to camp uh, for the 2020 season, that they were expecting Yamamoto to be that front runner to slide into that fifth rotation spot and he his stuff wasn't there and in particular he just wasn't throwing as hard to give him that same margin for error with the rest of his pitch mix so I guess the big question the first big question the Marlins would have to have for themselves is whether or not they think he can regain that velocity and um, I, I imagine they just didn't seem all that confident whether it's something physical with him or with his work ethic that they had concerns. They had some doubts about him regaining the stuff that he had in 2019. I mean, the unknowable question, the one that we can't really answer from the outside, is what sort of concerns they had about his his health status and his injury history. This is a guy that in 2018, he was dominant in the Marlins minor league system. He would have made a nice run at Marlins minor league pitcher of the year if he had been healthier, but he only made like 13 starts that year, about a half a minor league season, because he missed time with a shoulder issue. And so that then sidelined him for a couple months. It didn't require any surgery, but a lot of downtime. Then in 2019, um, he was he seemingly had a, a nice hold on a rotation spot with the Marlins, even though he was struggling a little as that rookie season went on. But then he was sidelined by a forearm strain for, I believe it was close to a month that he missed with a forearm strain, which, which all things considered was relatively mild injury in that case. But yet again, it's his arm, and it's the second straight year missing time with something like that. And this is where it's, come, it's very interesting with the Marlins because they have made some huge investments in players, kind of undersized starting pitching candidates. The first one being the JT Real Muto trade, accepting Sixto Sanchez back as the centerpiece of that trade. Sixto being a guy that was generally extremely highly regarded in the industry as one of the top prospects, but yet is just unconventional because he was just like Yamamoto, about six feet tall. And honestly, he may be even a little bit shorter than Yamamoto is without being particularly well-toned with his physique. He's always been a little bit uh, overweight based on what we generally see as an athletic build. And then most recently with Max Meyer. I mean, technically that was an even bigger investment, making Max Meyer their number three overall pick in the 2020 draft, giving him a signing bonus uh, well over $6 million for a guy that is also listed around six feet tall. And these are pitchers that 
there's just not all that many of them that you see around the majors that have long, successful careers as starting pitchers. They tend to get um, reimagined and filtered into a relief role uh, eventually uh, because of whether it's actual injuries or just as a precautionary step in anticipation of them getting injured. So this is an organization that doesn't let those, generally doesn't let those sort of very conventional thinking uh, prevent them from going after the best available player. And I'm I'm sure it had a factor in the reason why Yamamoto wasn't really on the prospect radar when the Marlins acquired him, and yet his performance kind of boosted him up the Marlins prospect ranks leading up to when he was finally called up to the majors. Uh, This is just a, a long way of saying that just because the Marlins are very confident in pitchers' talent, sometimes superseding their actual physical dimensions, that not everybody can be an exception to the norm. But even though they believe wholeheartedly in someone like Max Meyer, they have a very strong belief in someone like Sixto Sanchez, that doesn't mean that they want to throw out that 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 critical piece of information uh, in all cases, that maybe this does influence their, their thinking in situations like Yamamoto. So that part is kind of unknowable to know whether uh, exactly what his structural the structural integrity of his shoulder and his elbow looks like right now if they've they have better access to that information even than other mlb teams do and if they just do not see him as a guy that will be available to them for full seasons moving forward then that could be another reason why they want to cut cords right now before his value entirely bottoms out but the other angle to this is that even if uh, he had been bypassed by others on the starting pitching depth chart, which is absolutely the case. Obviously, Sixto had buoyed over him Eliezer Hernandez. I mean, he was the one that made the opening day rotation in the first place, and then his performance last year was even better than Yamamoto's was as a rookie. That Yamamoto just was not did not occupy the same spot on the depth chart that he used to. I mean, that's an element to it, too. Even so... He's a guy that you would think they would consider moving to the bullpen at some point, whether it's immediately to start the 2021 season or at some point as the year goes on, try to carve out a useful role for him there because that was a big weakness for the team. That has been a big weakness for the team uh, for really the entirety of this new ownership group. Aside from having some good luck with finding some dependable closers these past couple of years, uh, I mean, the rest of the The rest of the road leading up to the closer has been an adventure and a revolving door. Yamamoto, if one of the big concerns you have about him is his fastball velocity, moving someone to the bullpen and putting them in a position where they don't have to go through the order once, that they can exert more effort with individual pitches, I mean, that's been, in many cases, a proven way to boost up somebody's fastball velocity. And with him... The one off-speed pitch that really jumps off the page with him is his slider. I mean, there was a streak starting in 2019 where I think he went seven or eight starts before allowing a single hit against his slider. And as much as a disaster as 2020 was, he, uh, in a very small sample size, he didn't allow any extra base hits off of that pitch either in all of 2020. He threw it only 62 times, only 11 ending a plate appearance. But in that small sample, it wasn't what was getting him into trouble. He was getting into trouble on pretty much everything else, on the fastball, the four-seam, and the sinker, and the changeup. Barely even threw the changeup. 
the even the cutter, I mean, heck, gave up some pretty deflating home runs on that as well, but not the slider. He so he has this these two pitches, one that you already have enough concerns about, but one that could in that fastball that could play better if he's in the bullpen, and you have that slider that if he's getting ahead and counts more often with his fastball, that the slider has been a great put away pitch for him and one that avoids big damage based on what he's shown in the majors so far. At the very least, you get a guy that could be in your bullpen mix, either on opening day or somebody that gets called up during the season at some point. I, I mean, and the main thing that you would think is working to his advantage is that because he spent so much time in the minors last year uh, impacting his major league service time, he only has, he still has six years of club control remaining. Marlins have him under control all the way through 2026 at a minimum. They still have a minor league option on him as well. So they couldn't, they can send him down regardless of circumstances at any point this year or whether they delay that for a future year as well. They still have that one option year um, in order to send him to the minors, have him work on things, whatever the case may be. And that long-term control just gives them so many chances to like figure out the best way to utilize him. If you really like him in the clubhouse and you've seen him have some sort of success in the majors and he's shown flashes at least with his slider if nothing else that that's something to work on for a team that at this moment is relying so much on inexperienced players you want to give opportunities i would think to the ones that have done something in the major leagues something that seems sort of repeatable or something that can be adjusted down the line at the same way that I didn't feel the team would overreact too much to his 2020 season, I mean, maybe other major league teams won't overreact either. Perhaps um, that his value is a little higher now than than I feared, and they could get some sort of intriguing, lower-level, non-40-man prospect in return for him. Uh, but even if they do, I'm not even playing the results. I just feel that this decision in itself, the timing is inappropriate because this is where I'm going to finish off this abbreviated episode, is considering, well, reminding you about the state of their starting pitching depth with the Marlins. At this very moment, my projection for the opening day rotation would be, in no particular order, Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Eliezer Hernandez, Sixto Sanchez, and I think Nick Niter is going to come in and take that fifth spot. As always, they're going to have some sort of competition for that. Uh, Trevor Rogers, who I've spoken about, despite his bottom line results, really showed a lot of promise when he was called up in 2020. I, I have no doubt that he's going to be pitching in the majors as a starter during the year. Uh, Daniel Castano was a big surprise in terms of at least his results. I wouldn't say that he has the same kind of upside that Rogers has, that any of these other guys have, but just the fact that he pitched to a low three ERA and that he... I mean, he, he showed some things. It's hard to really put your finger on it and to trust him to be like an actual reliable workhorse in the rotation. But he's someone that I imagine will get spot starts this coming season at the least. Uh, just that's how we generally see things in baseball play out, that if you have initial success, they're going to give you opportunities until you fail. And he has not failed yet. He did not fail last year. He was came up really clutch in order to make the difference for the Marlins actually sneaking into the playoffs in the first place. So he's going to be in the conversation, but probably spend more time at AAA. Edward Cabrera, I mean, Edward Cabrera, just as we're recording this, named 
in the opinion of Keith Law of The Athletic, as the best prospect in the Marlins organization, even ahead of Sixto. And there are people within the Marlins organization that feel that exact same way, that because of Cabrera's swing and miss potential, he still has his age working on his side, he has his triple-digit fastball velocity, that he has all the potential in the world to be a front-of-the-line starting pitcher. He would have made his debut last year, if not for a minor injury. He will absolutely make his debut this coming year. And very potentially, once he gets up here, he might be here to stay. So they have a lot of those guys. And I should, of course, mention Paul Campbell. He is their Rule 5 draft pick, the one they got directly from the Tampa Bay Rays, who has a lot of starting experience in the high levels of the minors when he was with the Rays organization. I mean, heading into camp at this moment, you don't make someone your Rule 5 draft pick unless you plan to have them get serious looks during spring training, and we'll see if he actually sticks coming out of camp. But what we've seen so far under this Marlins organization here, heading into year four already um, since new ownership took over, is that these Rule 5 draft picks, they stick around for a while, whether it's making the opening day, day roster or going on the injured list at the beginning and going through a minor league rehab process that they took Campbell, you know, with the plans of sneaking him on the roster throughout this entire season and then being able to keep him long-term in some sort of role. There's a lot of others, young, intriguing arms that are in this mix. Uh, Braxton Garrett, who we got a little peek at uh, last year and the former first-round draft pick, even Max Meyer. Uh, Max Meyer is someone that they advertised as being major league ready coming out of the draft. And uh, if they're going to hold true to that, then I imagine after a few months in the minor league levels, if he's able to stay healthy and stay consistent, whether it's at high A or double A, that they may call him up before the season is over as well. Other names just throw out there, George Guzman, Jordan Holloway, Cody Poteet. Cody Poteet is one of the longest tenured Marlins prospects who is still around, as far as I know. This will be his last year prior to reaching minor league free agency. We'll see if he finally gets a shot after knocking on the door at AAA. And even some of the non-roster invitees that have already been announced, such as right-hander Zach Thompson, a really big-bodied pitcher who has been with the White Sox organization and has high high minors experience as well. Uh, Overall, they have more than a dozen internal candidates that you could squint and see making starts somewhere along the way. However, I mean, the lack of major league experience across the board is is appalling. You just, as much as you like the potential of some of these guys, you know statistically that only a small percentage of them will realize that potential, and even a smaller percentage of that will actually realize their potential this year and be able to help you compete. Which gets to my point that it really is shocking to me that we're going to make it all the way through the end of January without the Marlins doing anything to add a veteran presence to this rotation. All they've done really has been subtraction to their this rotation mix. All these guys I just mentioned were already with the organization uh, last year. I guess Campbell being the exception. Campbell is the one that they picked up in the Rule 5 draft, so we'll, we'll see with that, but that's somewhat of a roll of the dice. They got rid of Jose Urania, non-tendered him. They got rid of Robert Duggar got claimed off waivers, and now getting rid of Jordan Yamamoto. I mean, you might not be enthused by any of them. Uh, Frankly, I would not have high expectations for any of them in 2021, but they are innings eaters, if nothing else. They are guys that are starting pitchers, that have been developed as starters, that have a lot of the qualities and traits that um, you look for in a starter, 
And that gives you something over the course of a long season. And, and so the fact that they haven't replaced them with any new major leaguers, they've just replaced them with some guys that were knocking on the door in other organizations, that uh, you're really opening yourself up to a lot of a wide range of possibilities this year. A lot of those possibilities would lead the team to be non-competitive in what is going to be arguably the deepest division in Major League Baseball, the National League East. It's my final plea, as we're just a few weeks away from spring training, just two months away from opening day, that it'd be great if they just found a veteran starting pitcher and added him to the organization in some capacity. Most likely, that's going to come via free agency. Unfortunately, I mean, at this point, that the options in free agency are finally dwindling. I mean, it took a while to get things going, but free agent starters are getting well compensated this year. So this, again, gives me some hope that Yamamoto will have some trade value because he's earning approximately the major league minimum and he's already had some sort of major league experience that he's an attractive alternative to some other organizations, I imagine, because of that and a combination of other factors. Uh, But for the Marlins, I mean, I, I think at this point, you're looking at names that are multiple years removed from their peaks, whether it's someone like Gio Gonzalez who until recently was a very consistent innings eater, who is a native of the Miami area. And I mean, at this point, given his age in his mid thirties and the kind of year that he's coming off of where he didn't pitch all that much with the White Sox, that I maybe you could sneak him through on a minor league deal or a very minimal major league commitment. I mean, the ideal circumstances with all these guys I'm about to name is somehow convincing them to take a, a minor league deal but given what we've seen from the rest of the market, I think all these guys will ultimately require some sort of guarantee to join a new team. Rick Porcello, former Cy Young Award winner. Jake Arrieta, former Cy Young Award winner. Anibal Sanchez, not a former Cy Young Award winner, but a former Marlin that we know very well and has pitched pretty well recently with other teams in the division, with the exception of 2020. Julio Tehran, who has seemingly been around forever, but just 30 years old. There's so many intangibles that veteran starters bring, as I've mentioned on previous episodes, and the decision to get rid of Yamamoto, I would hope, is connected to this desire to add starting pitching depth to replace him in some sort of way, because he did have some sort of value, and I think he will be missed to some extent for reasons tangible and intangible over the course of a long season. Uh, I want to thank him. He came on the podcast in 2019, right before his call-up. That was a fun conversation to have, and he's been engaging with us uh, throughout the last couple of years, during the season, you know, during the off-season, that he's a guy that is very down-to-earth, and um, to this point, I think his career has already been somewhat of a success story, given that he was never a super early, highly, highly regarded prospect. He was a guy that earned his opportunities by performing against the highest minor league levels. He finally got that opportunity in the show. Um, but uh, in all likelihood, he will wind up with another team within the next couple days, and I may wind up with another microphone by the next episode, depending on the quality that this one has. Thank you for listening. If you are listening to this, as I said, a secret episode that not promoting on the website or on social media, so if you found it, it's probably because you were already subscribed to Fish Stripes on your preferred podcast provider. Be sure to check out the website for uh, final coverage of Uh, international winter leagues we still have some marlins players over there who are not quite ready to report to spring training but as well as 
the all the latest rumors about other adjustments that could be made to this roster before camp gets underway, and even once camp gets underway, between the start of camp and the start of the regular season, that uh, this is going this is a unprecedented sort of off season in terms of the deadlines that we're accustomed to and how things are actually moving along. That there's still a long way to go in determining exactly uh, how this team is going to line up for the start of the 2021 season. Can't wait to share it with you. So from Eli Sussman and everybody at Fish Stripes, thank you once again. Go Fish! Thank you.